Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. The principles of honesty and integrity that Sam Lehman founded his business on continue today over 55 years later at Sam Lehman Chevrolet Buick in Eureka. Owned and operated by the Birchie family, Sam Lehman in Eureka appreciates the support they've received from their customers all over Central Illinois and beyond. Visit them today at LehmanGM.com. Today's episode includes some thematic material. I want you to be aware before you listen in the presence of little ears. Hetty Britz is my wonderful guest today. She helps individuals, couples, families, and teams discover their brilliant God-given design so they can live and work with impact and fulfillment. Today, she's going to share a bit of her story and how God specifically used her temperament in parenting and then also as he protected her family during and after a traumatic event. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Hetty. Thank you, Laura. I'm so excited to be with you. Well, I always love starting off with a bit of context. So will you first give us an overview of your life? (laughs) I live in two worlds, Laura. So my one foot is always planted in South Africa, where most of my family still live and where my business is. And then the other foot here in Tennessee, where I now live with my husband of almost 29 years and our teenage daughter. I have a college son and a daughter who is a newlywed. So I'm halfway in summer and halfway in winter and getting ready for a visit to South Africa. Uh, We are very happy members and ministry leaders in our local church here in Kingsport, Tennessee, where my husband is the worship pastor and I'm the family ministry coordinator. Oh, wow. And how did your upbringing and I guess majority of your life spent in South Africa influence your transition into motherhood? Well, I was privileged enough, Laura, to grow up in a very happy home. I have a twin brother, an older brother and a younger brother. And that is a pretty sizable family in South African terms. I've since learned that that's not really a big family, (laughs) but I believed in family. I believed in happy childhoods, but I also grew up with a model where parents were not necessarily hands-on. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, so she modeled this beautiful commitment of giving up a career to raise us and then return to a career when we all went to high school. But around me, the typical model was for my generation, a double income family, a nanny that would help to raise kids and very little experience with children growing up because nannies are affordable and unemployment is rife. The typical family does employ a nanny and that means no need for babysitters so I never had experience with babies growing up because there was never a need to help out with cousins or younger siblings or younger kids at church it's just not a culture that really trains us in getting comfortable around babies so I would say in my head I was prepared and in practice not at all. Hmm. And even just looking back also at your family of origin, 
What was the faith like in your family? Oh, Laura, my mom and my dad modeled a love for Christ and faithfulness to his word. I always say my my dad's face is the face of a gracious but also just father. And my mom was such a model and still is such a model of the nurturing and caregiving heart of God. So I got to know both grace and justice in our home. My parents were strict. The rules were not compromised on. They were not afraid to discipline because they did believe, as I do today, that it produces character and godliness as it's promised in in Hebrews 12. And so we grew up with strict discipline, but lots of love and everything always rooted in the word of God. So as I'm hearing your story about growing up and how maybe your parents' generation was different from yours, did you ever have expectations of being a stay-at-home mom like your mother was, or did you have career aspirations before having children? I had only career expectations and needed an adjustment later in my motherhood, but I I have to say that I had this idea that I would become the best speech pathologist in our region, that I would have a booming practice as a as a therapist, and that my kids would just fall in with my life as I chose it. So I did not think it would disrupt my life at all, because at that stage, I had never had a real conversation with my mother about her choice. I just assumed she stayed home because she didn't want to do anything else. I didn't know that there was a sacrifice involved and that she would have loved to work, but had made this deliberate choice. So I just assumed people who want to stay home, stay home, and people who want to work, work, and I wanted to work. So there was very little insight, I think, as I started out into what these options were, what they would entail, what sacrifices would be made, and what potential price would be paid by my children for my choice. So I just pummeled on into a career. I was working in three different speech pathology practices, my own private practice, a practice with a pediatrician, neurologist, and other specialists, and then a practice at a school for special needs kids when I was pregnant with our first child. So I didn't think for a moment <laughs> that I'm going to be slowed down by this baby. And of course, I was in for a major surprise. Mm-hmm. So now will you walk us through your experience then of becoming a first time mom? When I was about five months pregnant with, with our daughter, I was doing the whole baby room decoration thing. I had all the energy you sometimes have in your second trimester and I was painting walls and making curtains and being very, very domestic and, you know, nesting big time. But my husband was overseas at the same time on a mission trip to Bosnia and God was speaking to both of us about a big transition. And I was so scared by what he was revealing in my quiet times every morning that I changed my devotional to something different, but it wouldn't stop. He kept saying things about pulling up roots and moving and and giving up some of the foundations I had built on. And when my husband returned, we compared notes and arrived at a conviction that we were to 
move out of that house I had just prepared for the baby and move to the poorest part of our city and serve. And that didn't make any sense because when you're going to have your first baby, you want to be close to your mom, which I was at that time. So we would have no immediate support, a, a strange place, not a safe neighborhood, really not an ideal environment to raise kids. Plus, I had the sense that career is now going to make way for something different. So it was very frightening, but I kind of tuned it out. We packed our stuff, we moved, we obeyed, we had our first baby. and. I thought I was ready because I had enough diapers and <laughs> bibs. And, but unfortunately, because I was so task-oriented and so checklist-oriented, I didn't do a lot of the art and inward preparation. This decision that I'm forever going to be more invested in the next generation than in myself. And so when she arrived... On day three, I'll, I'll never forget the, the nurse stepped into the maternity ward because in South Africa, you stay for at least three days. And so it was day three or day two, maybe, but not, not, later, not earlier than that. And she stepped in this nurse and said, so is everything all right? And I said, no, I, I really, I'm wondering when you're going to bath my baby and one would really expect better care around here. And she looked at me and said, you are the one who's supposed to bathe your baby and you should have done that yesterday and one would expect you to know this. And it was like a ton of bricks was poured over my head or a bucket of ice or something. And I just had this realization that I have not fully taken responsibility for this baby yet and I need to do this right away. And it's overwhelming. And I don't know if I can. And the breastfeeding wasn't great. In fact, it was it was terrible. And the first few weeks were just a blur because she wasn't sleeping. She wasn't getting enough nourishment. I wasn't sleeping. And I just had the sense that nothing is coming naturally for me, not the feeding. And I remember this nausea that came over me every time I bent over this little crib in the middle of the night, so exhausted and thinking, now I'm going to try and feed again and I just know I'm going to fail. And what if that is the pattern for every part of of parenting? So it was really, really hard and it unfortunately affected my bond with my daughter. And because I had this model of it's okay to have a nanny, I had a nanny help out from the beginning sharing the the mothering duties if you will and of course that it, there's nothing per se wrong with getting help with our babies in those overwhelming first weeks but I divvied up the responsibilities very unwisely so that all the activities that would have been really skin to skin and real really bonding between me and my daughter were the things I delegated because they felt so overwhelming to me and I felt so ill-equipped and eventually I had to have bonding therapy with my daughter in order to re-establish that bond and to relearn or to learn for the first time how to be a nurturing mom because this career-driven task-oriented fast-paced mom was not what she needed she because her personality is the opposite of mine needed a slow-paced present calm and very much skin-to-skin, face-to-face kind of a mom. 
and I had to become that. So it was a, it was quite a learning curve, Laura. I just appreciate your vulnerability and transparency to share that. And with the bonding therapy, how old was your daughter when you pursued that? She was two and a half and had just, or she was three and had just um, had her brother added to the mix um, when she was two and a half. And I guess I was more natural by then. And she observed all of this nurturing behavior and me carrying him more and the breastfeeding was more successful. So there was a a jealousy that developed because she could see the bond and didn't have it herself. And there were some misbehaviors that were red flags. And of course, I didn't think it was red flags pointing to something in my parenting. I thought there was something wrong with my daughter. And I took her to a play therapist and said, I think she wants her little brother to die. In fact, she's trying to help that along. And she has also said things like, I wish you would go back into your tummy. And after the assessment, this therapist looked at me and said, she is very uncertain as to whether you want to be her mom. She can see that that you want to be her baby brother's mom, but she's not sure about whether you want to be her mom, do you? And I remember that phrase felt like a sharpened fingernail stuck all the way into my eye it wasn't just a finger pointing it was a piercing pain because it really exposed this the selfishness in me that yes I want to be a mom but only to the extent that it doesn't interfere too much with my other agendas like sleeping enough and getting stuff done and it that was a pivotal turning point for me Laura It sounds like that was a point of repentance. And I know we're fast forwarding, but now you said she's a newlywed. How would you describe your relationship today? I would summarize our relationship as being redeemed, Laura. God has really given us an amazing relationship that was forged in among the soap suds is what I always say because one of the therapy activities that I was given is where I could bathe her in three minutes flat and dress her in another two minutes I was told to spend at least half an hour in the bath with her every day as a toddler to to redo this bonding so we did a lot of bathing together and we would I would, you know, smear soap on her little back and I would draw little pictures on her back and she had to guess whether it was a flower or a house or something. And and everything changed there. And the the gain of that has remained for, for the both of us. But I will tell you that even now as a young adult, she will often come over to my house to spend some time and she'll bring coloring books or she'll bring cookie dough and when we're coloring together or baking cookies together I will say to the Lord I know what this is this is you giving me a redo and I thank you for it because it's a redo of some of those things I should have done she was a little bitty daughter and I didn't but he's giving back the years that the locust has eaten. You know, and I I brought this swarm of locusts into those early years. It wasn't Satan. It wasn't God's fault either. 
it was ignorance right there at the beginning. But it's in God's economy, it's never too late. And for that, I'm really grateful. And this conversation just reminds me of my friend Elizabeth Dixon. And we were chatting on the phone one time and she said, you know, somebody once told me we only learn through our failure. And she said, but I would add something else to that. I think we can also sidestep some of our regrets when we learn from mentors and what they've been through. And yet it takes a level of humility. And so Hetty, I feel like as a mentor to us right now, as you're looking back, what are some of those things that you would advise young or maybe first-time parents? I wish I would have done this differently. It's a combination of embracing who we are and understanding why we are that way. I, If I looked at myself and said, okay, Hetty, you are not a natural nurturer. You are a worker bee, but let's look at your child's basic needs in the first 18 months and let's make a plan because whether you like it or not, whether it comes naturally or not, there are just certain things she's going to need right now. You're the adult in the room. (laughs) Grow up and do this because I think if I had fully faced who I was I would have done it differently but I just felt guilt I just felt why can't you be natural why can't you be nurturing why can't you breastfeed why isn't this fulfilling enough for you to have a baby to have two babies why is that not enough why do you have all these other aspirations shame on you that's how I spoke to myself and that's how I looked at myself and that's how I battled and of course when you're so intolerant towards yourself you also become intolerant to the kids who bring this out in you. So they are the problem. They are the ones who make you feel overwhelmed. And you end up resenting yourself and your kids. And that's, that's no way to parent, but that's what I was doing. So I wish I had known more about my own design before I went into motherhood so that I knew which, which parts of myself to employ and which parts to deny because we're always denying in in our Christian walk denying some parts of our flesh that is necessary that's part of the walk and I wish I had done that because denying the flesh is not the same as shaming ourselves there's a very big difference and now a brief message from our sponsor Sam Lehman Chevrolet Buick in Eureka has been owned and operated by the Birchie family for over 25 years. A lot has changed in the car business since Sam and Stephen's grandfather, Sam Lehman, opened his first Chevrolet dealership over 55 years ago. If you visit their dealership today, though, you'll find that not everything has changed. They still operate their dealership like their grandfather did, with honesty and integrity. Sam and Stephen understand that you have many different choices in where you buy or service your vehicle. This is why they do everything they can to make the car buying process as easy and hassle-free as possible. They are thankful for the many lasting friendships that began with a simple, welcome to Sam Layman's. Their customers keep coming back because they experience something different. I've known Sam and Steven and their wives my entire life, and I can vouch for their character and integrity, which makes it easy to highly recommend you check them out today. Your car buying process doesn't have to be something you dread. So come see for yourself at Sam Layman Chevrolet Buick in Eureka. 
Sam and Steven would love to see you, and they appreciate your business. Learn more at their website, laymaneureka.com, or visit them on Facebook by searching for Sam Layman Eureka. You can also call them at 309-467-2351. Thanks for your sponsorship. On your journey, what discoveries led you to write one of your books entitled Unnatural Mom? Why you are the perfect mom for your kids. Laura, that same therapist who told me where the problem was with my bond with my daughter recommended a book by Florence Littauer about personality types. And she just had a couple of pages that she had copied. I guess the book wasn't really available in South Africa, but she gave me a few pages to read. And I realized, oh my goodness, this is a temperament clash between my daughter and and me and so I studied temperament for years after that engagement and I and I learned about the different personality models that are in the Christian environment and I at that time I had started that aftercare center in the poor part of town where God made us move and I worked with kids there between age 7 and 17, mostly traumatized kids, mostly broken homes. And somewhere between what I was figuring out in terms of a better relationship with my daughter, understanding my design, understanding hers, trying to figure out the designs of these kids I was working with, how to get through to them, how to get past all their trauma, all their fears, all of their hardened hearts, um, how do I get to a place where I can mold my kids, be molded as a mom and mold these children? Somewhere in that, I started doing some parenting talks and that turned into a parenting ministry. And the first book was really about the personality types of kids called Growing Kids with Character. But of course, the moms really also wanted to understand the dynamic in their own hearts and in their own design. And that's how Unnatural Mom came about. And the title was really a confession (laughs) because I am unnatural. And because I am an unnatural nurturer, I vowed that once I had it figured out for myself and my kids, especially my oldest daughter, that I would want to share some of those principles with moms so that it wouldn't be so hard for them. Because I, I believe that parenthood should be enjoyable and should be modeled on our relationship with the Lord and it should be full of fulfillment and growth. So that's what I hope the book does. I know that the process of arriving at that content, that's what it did for me. It returned me to the joy of motherhood. And what a worthy goal that is. And Hetty, you've shared a little bit about the servitude that we expect in motherhood, the dying to self and putting away the selfish ambitions. And yet you're also alluding to this other side that's such a tricky balance to figure out with the Lord of also these good desires that he's given and placed in us and uniquely designed us to be, that some of those are to be exercised even when they look different from others. And so what would you say to the woman who maybe is oriented like you are with a similar temperament and they are career driven and they're a mother, what would you like to say to them? I I believe that at that point we need to redefine our career. 
We need to sit and say, what is the job I know God has wired me for? What are the different formats in which I can fulfill that vocation? What are some of the compromises I can make? And how can I look at my career as a long-term endeavor? I always think of how King David was anointed as king and ran around in caves for 20 years plus before he actually was king. And in the same way, we can be so certain. We can say, I know God called me to be a teacher or I know he called me to be a lawyer. But it's also important to ask the when question and to see how we can maintain our career skills without completely compromising our role as a parent. Now, I'm preaching even though that's not what I did at that time. As I confessed earlier, I wanted my daughter to fit into my career and not the other way around. And it took several years to realize there are certain things I'm going to have to manage differently. And I do feel that today there is an understanding in the workplace for a breastfeeding mom or a mom who needs to transition to half-day work. And we ought to pray through those with our spouse and with our mentors and find that win-win. Because I don't believe it is true that we can have it all at the same time, but it is true that we can be both a great mother and a very successful career woman. But something will have to give. Otherwise, you know, the adrenal glands will give in and the bodies will give in and the kids will suffer. So there are compromises to be reached, but it's not an either or. It's an and, and, but let's get our timing right. Thank you so much for sharing your journey. I would love to interview all the moms listening right now. I'm sure everybody's story is different, but it just brings up thoughts of mine. I had laid down my career as marriage and family therapist when um, more of our children came along. And it was almost harder to pick something back up when the Lord called me to it, when he asked me to start this podcast. And I just want to share some scripture that he's really encouraged me with over and over. And even earlier today, brought this to mind again from Deuteronomy five thirty-two and 33. And it says, so be careful to do what the Lord, your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. It's so important because God does give moms different instructions, doesn't he? He really does. And, you know, I'm a little older or I think of myself as older now because my kids are are fairly grown and Titus 2 is my guide for how I ought to live as an older woman right now able to give wise teaching to younger women to encourage them to love their husbands to love their kids to be busy at home and to do good and I do not have authority to do that if I neglect my own home. So it is so important that we do follow these guidelines that God has given us and not just look at Proverbs 31 and the whole list of accomplishments of this ideal 
wife and measure ourselves against that because she's both a night owl and a morning person. She's a businesswoman and her teenagers think she's wonderful. It's a pretty, pretty tall order for us. That is not our individual instruction. There are individual instructions on top of that. And as you said, returning to a career is in hard when we have been so devoted to our kids and the opposite challenge may surface. I know that it's true for me that there was a time when I toured and spoke a lot and was often away from home. Um, when my kids were middle schoolers and early high school, I was on the road a lot. Now I don't want to do it anymore. It's as though I've become so possessive of the hours that I still have with my 14-year-old that I hate going away. And when I told her that I plan a visit to South Africa and how long can she spare me? I was saying, you know, is a week, a week is too short to go. It's too expensive. But how do you feel about two weeks? And she said, mom, you go for as long as you need to go. You do you, I'll do me. And instead of being relieved to hear that, it hurt my heart to think she's not going to miss me after two weeks. Because now all of a sudden I'm clingy. I have separation anxiety. I don't want to get on the airplane and go away for three, uh, three weeks anymore. And I guess that's the heart of a mom. It's always pulled in two directions, right? Mm, that is so well said. And can you share illustrations of moms who parent very differently, but God's clearly equipped them for their exact role as mother to their own unique children? Yes, Laura, I think one of the clearest differences around things like sleeping habits, you know, do you do you have the family bed, the kids sleep in their own cots, you know, from the day you bring them home from hospital or how does it work? And I was very much this this routine mom. So the kids were in their own rooms, in their own beds, lights off, door closed. And to give context in South Africa, part of that was because I wanted my kids to know that they were safe, not only when they are with me, but that God is their protector. Because our country has such a high crime um, statistic and people live in fear all the time. And a lot of people have their kids with them in the room, locked up with additional security gates, so afraid of what might happen in the dark of night. And I was intentionally trying to raise my kids to be tough and fearless and to trust in God and to be independent. Okay, so that's that's me and that's my personality. That's what I call the box rose. The rose is the spicy, fierce kind, think thorns and flowers. And the box which is so perfectly pruned into a perfectly round ball or a perfectly square hedge. So that's the rule follower. So that's how I did it. And I, there was a day when I was so glad that my kids were trained to sleep in their own room and I had a regular bedtime because we suffered a home invasion and robbery one night. And I was sexually attacked that night and my husband was kidnapped, but my kids slept through the entire ordeal in their own rooms, doors closed. Now, if they had been in our room, I, I can't even imagine the trauma and devastation for them. So that was the right model for me. And I believe that God guided us that way for all the right re reasons. But I have a friend who can't do that and who has never done that and who loves checking on her kids at night and who loves them skin to skin close to her. She's the tree top that I call the 
pine tree. So think the school shade, the school forest, this welcoming Christmas tree who always gathers the family together. That's her personality. And several years ago, both her daughters were diagnosed with diabetes. They both had a virus that just destroyed their ability to produce insulin. And they, they got the six months apart. And she had to be up several times each night to check their sugar and to make sure that they were well. And she is so naturally wired for it. She loves knowing that they're okay. And all of that care, just thinking about it, gives me a panic attack. Just to think I had to do that. I just do not have it in me, Laura. I was not given that grace. But she was. And if she had to unplug her kids from the country of birth, move them halfway around the world, plug them into brand new school systems and homeschooling curricula, I don't think she could do that because that's me. That's the pioneer woman that that's in me. And so I truly believe that God gives very specific designs to mothers for the sake of their kids. And sometimes those are mismatches with their kids for a reason, as it was with me, so that I could be tortured out of my selfishness and so that I could grow up to to be to be more selfless. But in other times it is a design that matches their kids' design so perfectly so that they can prepare their kids for a career or a ministry or a difficult time, as in these two examples I mentioned. Wow. Hetty, I just want to pause. The trauma that you suffered is unimaginable. You and your husband both. And what was that recovery like? And you said your husband was kidnapped. How long was it until you were reunited? Laura, we were separated at one point during the ordeal. And I was not aware of the kidnapping. And my husband was not aware of my rape. So we we both had separate trauma and then when I finally heard the house go quiet I started looking for him and realized that he had been kidnapped and he didn't know what had happened to me he was asked by the robbers to help load all of our possessions into our car and to drive the car out of our gated community so that it would not look suspicious so he drove out with with a gun in his ribs and I was home. And at some point I realized that I would need to get to a hospital for treatment against HIV and AIDS because there was a very high likelihood of having been exposed to that during the attack. And so I decided to go and wake up the neighbors to take me to a hospital and and for one of them to stay and wait for the kids to wake up. And also had no idea when my husband would return. But as I crossed the street to wake up the neighbors, he came running up the street. So what had happened with him is that he kept praying for these men and praying to the Lord, obviously, for his life to be spared. Because they were not concealing their identity and and they were constantly threatening to kill him. So he expected that. But at some point, as they were driving off, towards a well through a completely abandoned stretch of road that just said out of the blue we know you are christian stop the car get out give us your shoes and turn your back to the car and i think he really expected 
to be shot on the, at the side of the road, but they just sped off in the car and we were just so encouraged to know something we have to say to people a lot because our country is so dangerous. We say to people often that Spurgeon has this saying, Charles Spurgeon had the saying that you are immortal until God is finished with you. So we always tell people, it, God will decide your last day. And if it's not your last day, he will spare it, even if it takes a miracle. And that's what we believe we experience that night is a miracle that our lives are all spared. Wow. Absolutely a miracle. And yet such evil committed against you both. Laura, you asked about recovery, and it's a too long story to really share today, but God had really given me truths ahead of time that acted like a buoy to me in, in that storm. I learned truths that were very important for me to know that night that I was able to hold on to, and Louis and I both had thought a lot and taught a lot about forgiveness and the power of forgiving quickly. And we believe that that is why we were able to recover quickly, is we understood that some things you can't stop, but you also don't need to give more away than what was taken. And when we remain bitter or angry or we allow racist ideas to take a hold of us, then then we lose more than we need to lose. And we're very grateful that God brought all of us through it without remnants of fear. In fact, we are definitely more <laughs> fearless than we were because when you see God so active and present and powerful in your darkest night, then you lose fear. You don't have fear added to your life. Wow, you are so inspirational to hear your perspective and attitude through that. And it shows it's only Christ in you that makes that possible. Something we love to share at the Savvy Sauce is joy. If you want to share joy too, will you take a moment and share this episode or any of your previous favorites with a friend? You can post it on social media and tag us at the Savvy Sauce. You could text it to a friend who could use specific encouragement on one of the topics that we've covered. Or you could email articles to loved ones that you read on thesavvysauce.com under our articles tab. Whichever route you choose, we invite you to share joy along with us. As you're sharing these extreme examples of how God prepared you and your husband, gave you these downloaded truths before these events, and then even tying it in to the temperaments that he's given us at birth as parents, what happens to us as parents when we don't embrace who we truly are? I believe that we all reflect a part of the character of God into the world. We're made in his image and he has a design for each one of us. And if I can, I want to read Ephesians 1 verse 11 and 12 from the message translation. It says, it is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he is working out in everything and everyone. So this tells me that there's this overall purpose, and we know what that is. It is to show his son to the world as salvation for everyone who would believe. 
but we play parts in that and our unique design plugs into that overall plan. And when we don't embrace that, there is a part of God that doesn't get shown to the world in the way it should. And in parenting, we're also teaching our kids who God is. And I said earlier how I saw both justice and grace in my father. My father has the boxwood part, who is the rule follower, but also the pine, who is just so gracious and loving and patient. And my mom has some of the rose, who is so brave and driven and committed and faithful. And all of those characteristics are characteristics of God. And the one tree I didn't mention is the palm tree, who is so joyful and generous and giving. And those are also aspects of God. And if we don't all, with our unique design, show up as ourselves, but also as a reflection of God in the world, then I don't believe people really know who he is and what his heart for us looks like. That is so beautiful to think of the picture of the whole body and how we often can resist who he designed us to be rather than grow more fully into who he intended for us to become. And Laura, I really believe that when we are aware of our weaknesses that come with our temperament and our unique temptations and we are on guard and we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit's guiding in those areas and we're aware of the usefulness of our temperament and we bring those useful parts to the Lord to be used and we operate in what I call our fields of greatness, those areas for which God has uniquely wired us, then there is something very life-giving to how we live. I, I look at somebody like Paul, who is a fierce rosebush, and he did all these brave mission strips, and he preached convictingly and firmly and with painful honesty, absolute typical rosebush. But look at the impact of his life on generations of Christians, centuries of Christians. And that is somebody who is so clearly one particular personality type. He didn't change his style. He didn't have to become something he was not in order to be so beautifully useful. And it's the same for us. God will sanctify our temperament. He won't change it. Oh, that is good. That's worth repeating. God will sanctify our temperament. He won't change it. And I want to reread a quote from you. You said before, the mom who is not completely fulfilled by motherhood alone is not evil. She can be a wonderful woman. She just needs to have that permission to sometimes break away a little bit. And then she becomes a natural at being a mom in the areas that she's gifted in. So can you just elaborate on that thought? Yes, Laura, that's that's me, I think. Um, and I guess that's why I wrote that is I that's my discovery that I'm not evil for wanting to write another book, for wanting to tour and speak. I'm not evil for wanting to build a company that is successful. And when I'm in a parenting phase where my daughter's getting married or my teenager is going through heartbreak with her first boyfriend or where my son has a college crisis, then I have to set that aside for just a moment and be in the parenting moment and be in the motherhood moment that is required of me. 
And if that is a long season and I feel, oh, I just need to go climb a mountain, go have a breakthrough, get something done that will still stand tomorrow, as, as we often feel we need to do when the kids are little and you clean and you change diapers and you cook just to do it all over again several times a day and you feel like you're not getting anywhere, then you just need that moment where you say, I'm going to take 10 minutes when, 10 minutes when the baby's napping and I'm going to do one thing that will still stand tomorrow so that I can just maintain my sanity because I am a builder or I am a creator. And I need to create and I need to build something that will stand. And that can sometimes be done, Laura, in five minutes and take care of that part of me that needs to do something constructive. And then I'm ready to be the mom who changes the diapers again. But that is how the self-knowledge enables us to say, I need one thing like that to maintain my sanity. Or if you're the palm tree mom who needs social interaction with her own peers, then this is a mom who can do a quick 10-minute online check-in with all of her friends if everything just feels too claustrophobic around her. So know what those needs are and have them met without needing to get on a plane and go away for three weeks because that's what we tend to want to do pack a bag and run away, but it's because we don't take these mini vacations from parenting according to our own personality type. I love it. I've heard this described before as partial solutions where maybe we do have this ideal in our mind. And if we don't have three weeks or even three hours available, we can still be refreshed. God still offers these breaks, even if it's in a few minutes. Oh, he does. And sometimes it is as simple as just stepping out on the porch, looking for a beautiful flower, smelling it and walking back in. Many, many breaks from the overwhelm will always make a difference. And oftentimes there are dangers on extreme sides of any situation. So as it relates to selflessly raising our children and wisely stewarding our God-given gifts, what are some indicators that we're out of balance for either responsibility? I believe that we need to look at our children's development because when we neglect our role in different phases of their lives, there will be an impact on their growth. And I'm thinking of the, the little bitty one who's not able to separate from mom because there hasn't been a slow transition into being able to do that. Or I'm thinking of the two-year-old who is not able to do anything independently because mom has not ever left the, the immediate presence of the kid. And so it goes both ways. There is a part of our role is, is being there and a part of our role is getting them onto their own two feet. And two of the four designs that I describe in Unnatural Mom will tend to hold on too long and two designs will tend to want to be independent from their kids too, too early on. And so I think we need to watch our kids, see how they get along, how they compare, and I want to use the word compare so carefully, but how they compare with their peers are they able to function socially like they ought to? Are they able to 
take responsibility for their own schoolwork by themselves? Are they ready for college along with their, their peers? Because those are the indicators that we may need to step back in and give special support for that developmental phase before returning to whatever other priorities we may have. And you also recommend that parents fulfill their own core needs so that they can care for their family out of that overflow. How can we identify our core needs and how can each of these types strategically fulfill them? That's a very broad question, but a very good one. I, I, I look at it as a tra triangle where the one side of the triangle represents everything that drains me. Another side represents everything that recharges me. And the third side represents my circumstances. And we are trying to balance those three sides to keep this triangle intact. And that means I need to be able to say, okay, I think I'm a palm tree mom. I am energized by social interaction, by doing something new, fun and exciting. I care about opportunities and I care about novelty and I am drained by routine and boredom and silence and loneliness and here are my circumstances and this is what they look like in this phase of parenting or my career and how do I take these three, three, three things to the Lord for a strategy because we are we are like trees and that means we have seasons so our circumstances will vary it's not always summer it's sometimes winter and we need to know what season we are in but then also we need fertilizer or we will not be able to bear fruit and we have weather that is challenging and we need to be planted in the right spot so there's a lot going on before a fruit tree is truly fruitful and we can be managed in that way say this is the frostbite I'm facing. These are the fertilizer needs I have. And let me just reflect on what season I am in and pray for the provision that I need. We can't grow when we are in stress. And it's very hard to give overflow to our kids and our husbands when we are in a winter season. We're planted in the wrong spot. We can't get our roots anchored down. And nothing's feeding us. So to make sure we have that input, because a mother is a feeder. And for us to be able to feed, we need to be full. And one of your mottos is, know your design, live your purpose. So if someone wants to end this chat with their new starting place, where do you recommend we can begin to know our design so that we can live our purpose? to invite them to do an unnatural mom profile and if they have the book there is a discount voucher in there but I would also love for them to reach out to me and I can point them to a special offer to have their own design determined by doing our tall trees assessment and they can find their own nurturing style their discipline style their overall parenting style their mentoring style if they already have teens and understand what it is that is their frostbite, because all of that is in the report. Also, what is their fertilizer and which of those needs they can prioritize, because that whole report comes with a growth plan that guides you step by step to determine these core needs that you can 
take care of with God's help. And so, Hetty, if someone's interested, where would you like to direct everyone to find out more about you and see all these offers online? The best way to reach me is to go to my link tree. That is linktr.e forward slash Hetty Brits. And that will guide you to all the different platforms where you can find me and interact with me. And contact me through my Facebook page, Hetty Brits Author for this special offer if you have been listening to this podcast. Wonderful. And you know our podcast is called The Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge. And so, Hetty, is my final question for you today. What is your savvy sauce? Laura, it is not just to know your design, but also to know your rhythm and know whether your special hour to invest in reflection, to invest with the Lord, to invest in getting ready for your day, maybe in the evening or in the morning. But I believe every mom, whether you're at home or working, should have at least one hour all by herself at the best time of the day or night for her to become fully human and sane and kind and filled up with God's word and filled up with his instruction for the day ahead, that has made the biggest difference for me. And that hour for me is the one right around sunrise. If I've seen the first ray of the sun, I know I'm going to have a really good day. It's my special time with the Lord and with whatever I will encounter in the day to get ready for that. So please have your special hour and don't feel guilty about that hour because whatever gets poured into you in that hour will flow out beautifully to those that you love. Well, Hetty, you have such a beautiful and genuine faith in Jesus and your journey has been so powerful and I'm very grateful for your generosity to share your journey with us today. You are lovely to chat with, and I very much enjoyed hosting you as my guest. Oh, it was a joy for me, Laura. Thank you so much. And God bless your ministry and all the ways in which you are life-giving to others. Thank you, Hetty. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you but it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a savior. But God loved us so much, he made a way for his only son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished, if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.